just start this, Abby? Oh, sorry, I can. No, sure. no, we're just going to start this because this is what we want to do. Is just like this. Okay. Start talking. I'm Kristen Nichols. I'm the editor of Hemp Industry Daily. And my dear co-host, introduce I'm, yourself. I'm Abby McCullough, and I'm the digital ninja at Tennessee Homegrown. And I'm Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. <laughs> the Old Hemp Farm. Okay. And we've been talking, well, basically catching up with Kristen Nichols. Kristen, oh. you want to tell people kind of how we met? Oh, okay. I was a, a new hemp reporter in 2017, of course, wanted to find folks that knew a lot about the industry and just stumbled on uh, Harold. Um, he is, uh, my publication is a spinoff of sister publication to Marijuana Business Daily. And um, Harold had a background in high THC cannabis production. And that is kind of the sweet spot for us because it's the same plant and it's the same skill. So he had experience in kind of a more mature, even though this whole industry is very young, in a more mature um, THC market, and then ventured out to uh, find uh, opportunities in a lower THC product. And that's exactly what my company was doing. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing. Um, maybe you are interested in a high THC line, but there's either a lot of red tape or a lot of challenges. And there's, hemp is a, a great spot to be if you're if you like uh, the plant or you're knowledgeable about the plant but want fewer taxes and less red tape so that's kind of Harold how he is to me you know that the guy that knows it all but is uh, chose hemp anyway kind of right, well the thing I want to talk to you about is those earlier days because yeah. at first when I told my high THC cohorts that I was going to Tennessee to grow high CBD cannabis they basically told me in a very, very nice way, I had lost my mind. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, this was 2014, 2015. Because like I said, you did start at Marijuana Business Daily. And mm -hmm. when, they, when all this started picking up, they decided to spin it off. Talk about those early days of trying to do the media and how much receptivity you got to what you were trying to do. Well, I always say whatever you think about cannabis, it truly is the miracle drug of news. <laughs> One thing that I think uh, uh, Harold knows very well and that marijuana people know very well, this idea that the law is going to change, it's going to be any time now where high THC products are available, not just nationally, worldwide, well, change is slower than I think a lot of us would like. So I think there are again opportunities in hemp and it was not a one-year play or a six-month play or a one growing season play i think we're years away where before there will be national thc products available uh and so i i really think that you made the smart play hopping in and of course my shop if you're a a media company um there are people and it makes sense that are just never people businesses that are just never going to advertise or invest in something that has marijuana in the name. And so they kind of wanted to, a way to capitalize on businesses that are investing in the space, but won't, you know, are a little gun shy, basically, just gun shy about the word marijuana. Um, folks like um, Hawthorne, as you know, that's a spinoff of Scott's Miracle Grow. They're comfortable, again, because it's not their main name, <laughs> advertising in marijuana, but a lot of other companies are not comfortable 
participating in something or advertising or supporting anything with marijuana in the name. So I'm curious what you're seeing in your business. Do you, are there people that started working with you when you pivoted to hemp that didn't in the early days or wouldn't work with you when you were in the marijuana space? Well, the, the earlier, well, I mean, like when I was doing the high THC stuff, I was trying to work in Washington state. So there was the I-502 thing and it was kind of set up and there, you know, there was some sort of receptivity. The naive thing about myself when I came to Tennessee was there was no infrastructure. Mm. And so when you went in to talk to someone about your services or your product, you started cold. Also, there has been a, a sea change of the way people think about this product in general. So, I, I mean, it was like two, two years in before I could get someone to give me shelf space. <laughs> and then if you fast forward 24 months, I had people that were literally caught. I did not have to advertise. Mm -hmm. People were seeking me out because, you know, the Sanjay Gupta specials on CNN. Sure. And, and then the other thing that happens, and this is the strange things, whether it's high THC or high CBD, when people hear that someone's made a bunch of money off of it. Oh, sure. Two years ago, all of a sudden, you started seeing on CNBC, them talking about plays. At that point, was the rec thing in Canada. But there was no Snickers. There wasn't anybody cutting little jokes about it. It was coming in, this was a play. Canopy Girls <laughs> came in and bought this. And so I think that's the big thing that's changed. Mm -hmm. The whole, whole thing is shaking out. And, I, and I, you know this as well as anybody. This is an infant market. I mean, as far as how it's controlled, sold, uh, everything. And so mm -hmm. in this is the, the whole start stops that are going on. Mm -hmm. I'd like to shift this back to you a little bit. <laughs> And that earlier days when Hip Business Daily started. So I knew um, a fella who started Marijuana Business Daily. We were having lunch and he, he, we, he just kind of, we we're talking, this is probably um, 15 or 16, talking about, you know, we're hemp, basically since the 14 Fargo, where the hemp market was going. And he was talking about maybe doing a whole separate title. And I, he said, did, did, did he think, there'd be a market there. I said, oh, I think so, absolutely. I totally thought there would be. Um, so again, I started as just a reporter at Marijuana Business Daily, but I covered the hemp industry and it became very quickly apparent, this is 2017, very quickly apparent, even this is before the farm bill, even without, is under the 14th farm bill, I guess, uh, that even without national legalization, how big this was going to be, you know it, it better than I do that there's just so much this plant does that is beyond a THC product. You know, there's just whole sectors. You could just have a whole beat on home construction, a whole beat on textiles, a whole beat on paper products. There's so much interesting stuff that hemp can do. And, I'll, you know, high THC cannabis can do too, frankly, uh, but doesn't have that uh, the red tape hang up that uh, we just saw so much that you could do with it, um, do with this product or do cover it, do with, I mean, cover it, do with it journalistically. And so much to write about. Um, you know, I have probably 10 stories a day that we can't even get to of people doing really cool, interesting things with hemp. Um, so there's, there's just, I think it's a real sweet spot for a journalist to be because it's so interesting. 
and there's so much going on. And I'm a, before that was a kind of long time ag writer. And I, I think you're probably seeing this where you are too. You, I think you can't separate the rise of the hemp industry from overall headwinds and challenges in agriculture. This is all happening as farmers are seeing almost record low commodity prices in corn, wheat, soy, where you are, uh, former uh, places that had a big thriving tobacco industry, I mean, that's just bottomed out in Carolinas and Kentucky. I think that's, that's exactly why you've seen some surprising, it surprises people how quickly um, folks in tobacco area, folks, I mean, uh, but not just businesses, but politicians in former big tobacco areas have really embraced this, I think, they are coming around. I think eventually they'll be big supporters of high THC cannabis too. That's probably a ways down the road. If you want to know why hemp is legal, you have three words and that's tobacco state Republicans. Really pushing this forward. And I think you're right. I think folks are going to start seeing the money. And, you know, there were some real questions. I'm, I'm dating myself. There were big questions in Colorado, which you probably saw in Washington too. Big, huge questions about What's going to happen to society? Things that look so silly now, like, oh, are the roads are going to, you know, just be covered in blood. Everybody's going to be high. People, kids are going to stop going to school because they're all going to be high. Businesses are going to suffer. The military is going to leave because they're all going to be smart. I mean, really, there was genuine <laughs> anxiety. And you're right. It had to. Uh, um, and I think that folks, whatever you think about it, whether it's been good, bad, does it really get rid of the black market, a lot of challenges, who gets the tax money, it doesn't really make that much. But at the end of the day, it hasn't been carnage in the roads and businesses fleeing the state and the, and the military closing up shop. So I think there's a lot fewer downside for um, places that are, would have been even 10 years ago absolutely hostile to marijuana. <laughs> One of the things I have noticed about the cannabis business is because there's hasn't been around the long enough, there's no good old boys. There is no glass ceiling because there is no ceiling. Because I personally feel that cannabis probably within three to five years will be dominated by females. I, I really do. It's just, I see so many women coming into this. No, I, I don't know what Abby sees, but um, gender-related, I do, absolutely, there's opportunities because it's a newer industry that don't exist in older, sorry, don't exist, that are harder to access in older industries. However, I, as long as it's subject to the same headwinds, which is access to capital, it is harder to start a business uh, if you don't have six figures sitting around or land, um, and it's just easier to to start a big thriving business still. Um, and like I was talking about subject to the headwinds of agriculture, there just are not a lot of female led agriculture enterprises relative to other industries. It's still, you know, it's still dirty outside work to a lot of people. Um, so what I really see, and I, you know, I'm always looking for the, I really want the hands in the dirt farmer to interview, but I still find predominantly that women are heading up companies or heading up um, maybe like a kind of health and wellness angle, hemp and CBD companies. And it's still very male, that side of the industry that is either in production 
really growing it or manufacturing or, um, you know, like big equipment companies coming up with like combines and double cut combines and farm equipment for hemp farms, I still think it's very male dominated. I'm curious what you see, Abby. Well, I, I actually go get, get muddy and I enjoy that, but um, <laughs> I, I do see the same thing. Um, you know, it's, it's not very typical to see a girl on a tractor. So, mm-hmm. I mean, look at historically, like there has always been the male. Mm-hmm. With that, I think that there is, like you said, this, it's a new industry, right? And when there's mm-hmm. something new, there's not really any kind of rules made yet. And um, with that comes a lot of opportunity for women to thrive and to create their mm-hmm. own um, their own industry. So I yeah I see that all the time. Looking at at your magazine, you see these um, health and wellness um, women leading these great um, like balms or salve companies. And um, but I I do think that there is access to capital. Like that issue is number one. That's, you know, comes all with the, with a business plan. Sure. sure. One of the things that we are trying to do at Tennessee Homegrown, not to sound too bleeding heart liberal, mm-hmm. is, is a lot of, we've incubated a lot of businesses. I mean, one of the things we want to talk about the earlier days of TN Homegrown, mm-hmm. since stores wouldn't take us, there was a lot of women that got a hold of us, not a lot, several women says, well, I want to get into this. How can I do this? And I said, well, you just started, you know, whether it was bulk material, bottle material, whatever, get in there and get out. And the, the thing it's, that I'm kind of excited about is the woman entrepreneur, not the person who's wanting to do the fluff little cosmic, the person who, like Abby's a perfect example. She wants to run her own cannabis company one day. Yes, sir. And I'm finding more and more women that are, that are doing that. And the, the, the thing, which is kind of interesting right now, large-scale cannabis is being punished. Yeah. It really is. So right now, the sweet spot is for those people who can come in mm-hmm. and do that little niche. A lot of the companies, CBD companies, that have kind of had problems, Oh God, I don't want to say it's testosterone, but I've actually heard conversations where it was, I had to be the biggest. I had to be the best. Sure. And, and the, so the decisions was being pushed was, and, and also this like figurehead. Yeah. Like these guys, I'm going to be the, oh God, mm-hmm. the king of him. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, what I've found working with, oh God, and once again, this is, trying not to do generalization, but the collective we seems to be sure, easier. Sure. No, and I think you, you really hit on something here. I think in this time, how much uh, kind of big, big retail is struggling and what's really thriving right now is the kind of entrepreneurship that women do very well at, which is more of a direct selling B2C, sell right to people, sell to your friends and neighbors, interact with folks really want to know what, they're putting in their bodies and where it comes from. And they really like that personal interaction. So I think the hemp industry probably for, for legal reasons and um, has this kind of background. I always jokingly say that I think the drug game is the original e-commerce back in the day when you had to page a drug dealer 
um, or even before that, call a guy standing by a payphone. I mean, brick and mortar is what's new. So I think you're right. I think after the farm bill, there were some big, big guys that were like, boom, boom, we're gonna be the Walmart, we're gonna be the Sam's Club, we're gonna be in every gas station. That kind of scalability and what we're seeing in the pandemic is kind of a ratcheting back of how successful that model really is um, and what consumers are looking for. I think it really highlights, yeah, female entrepreneurship um, doesn't mean it has to be smaller, but definitely this sense of connecting with consumers in a way that sometimes big scale, big box doesn't really ring as true right now. Let's go into a little bit about the last two years, which the last two years of, of high CBD cannabis mm -hmm. has been a sea change. Sure. In, in 2017, we had people selling a pound of biomass mm -hmm. from 60 to $70 a pound. That same pound, same quality right now is at $7 a pound. Oh, yeah. One of the things I'm interested with you is when did you see this happening? Because it seems to this overgrowing, overprocessing, all this snuck up on everyone. I mean, it really did. I mean, you, we had people making decisions in summer of 2019 under the assumption that they could get a $12,000 kilo of discord. Yeah. When did you start getting an inkling of the overproduction over of that too many acres being planted? When did you get a feel of that? From the beginning, and I would say everybody should be reading Hemp Industry Daily. You wouldn't have known. No, uh, but I mean, this is just joking. But uh, to be flip, as long as anything dramatically exceeds per acre profits, input, or, you know, where, if, where per acre profits dramatically exceed other, other commodities. When you have a few guys, however lucky they got, making 20000 an acre, when a corn farmer's making $500 an acre, that's just ridiculous. And I would say there is not overproduction. I would say it's just a realistic, it's gonna fall to those prices. Doesn't mean people are growing too much, it just means extremely unrealistic expectations of how much how rich you're going to get farming um so much of the uh what they say the cost of illegality the reason that marijuana prices were, were very very high and under the black market and stayed high for a while uh and under a legal scheme is again just you're paying the price of illegality you're paying for the risk folks take producing an acre of an illegal drug producing, you know, something that is, that could put them in jail for life. You, you pay a huge premium for that. You take that stuff away, prices fall, 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 because they're going to continue falling. I don't really consider it overproduction. I just consider it, you know, if you, you want to be treated like a real farmer, uh, guess who doesn't become a millionaire on 10 acres? Real farmers. <laughs> you know, you see it every day. But, I, you know, I really just think unrealistic expectations and what you know, and what uh, folks I think were really just delusional, and I don't know who to blame. It's seeing what a guy can make at a high quality, very artisan, one acre or less production site, and thinking, well, I've got 20,000 acres, I'll make 20,000 times that much money. And the difficulty scaling, it's just 
very like how you can the kind of profit you can make on a half acre doing extreme quality craft production is just almost impossible to scale that up by an order of magnitude and become rich but i gotta say again we were saying it i would say every state extension office every state department of agriculture that sunny purdue who i don't think much of the usda secretary said you know as soon as it passed like go slow be careful and what you just it's just natural i think people just didn't listen well i'll, I'll put out a little bit of a kudos to you uh, <laughs> the hemp business daily was one of the things because we figured it out when everybody else was scaling up the amount that they were growing scaling down we, yeah we were scaling down what are you familiar with Richard Rose, right? Mm -hmm. He wrote a, an interesting paper and he did drill down and yeah. he said basically 20, 25,000 acres would supply all the cannabinoids needed for the present market. Yeah. yeah. Yet 250,000 acres were licensed last year. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the disconnect. Uh, sure. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I get hired as a consultant asking all the things. And I and it just seems like this, I don't even know what you want to call it, kabuki theater is going to mm -hmm. keep happening. I keep talking to people in Iowa, Texas, Florida, all these states that are coming on. And I'm talking to people and they're saying, yep, I'm going to be doing 50 acres. And, mm -hmm. and you just, I said, have you drilled down? Have you looked at the industry? Are you looking at the numbers? And the only thing I can think of that's kind of a parallel to this is the gold mining. Yep. I, I, it, for some unknown reason, you can tell people all the, mm -hmm. all, and they only hear what they want to hear. Yep, I'm going to be the guy. <laughs> Not to put any responsibility on anybody, but yeah. these expos that were like glorified uh, pep rallies. Mm-hmm. How much does that have to do with these people continually getting up on a stage and saying, I heard one in Alabama this winter, not had nerve to say $90,000 an acre because they were basically yeah. pushing this. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real challenge to, for your origin to be to promote the industry. But also, yeah, how much do you feel that you're responsible for unrealistic expectations? I'm curious. I really, I don't have, you know, you, you brought up Richard Rose. There's a lot of big, big critics. Um, I think the hemp industry is at a humongous inflection point right yes. now. Because for the whole origin story, it's been hemp should be legal. Hemp should be legal. It's not bad. It's, it should be, it's great. It should be, well, that argument's over. It, but there's still a role for industry associations and you you hit on it right away like yeah where do you where do you help people or where do you make things worse you know when your whole mission for decades has been promoting how great this plant can be where how do you pivot to being helpful and not making that argument one thing uh, just as a side note that i for example i get this probably not once a week, but multiple times a month. Somebody complaining, why don't we write more about uh, phytoremediation, about how great hemp is for the earth, about how it pulls, magically pulls these toxins out of the soil. And didn't, didn't, don't we know they planted it outside Chernobyl and yak, yak, yak. 
I, of course, I said that is amazing. Not a lot of plants can metabolize your, that is amazing. But then you got a bunch of plants, you got a bunch of field full of hemp that's full of uranium. What do you want to do with that? You know, and so I think in a way it's like kind of the idealism that yes, oh, it would be great if we could just plant a ton of hemp and it would pull all the carbon out that we've overproduced. It would suck up all the uranium that we dug out of the middle of, of earth and, and want to burn for clean fuel and then it just to magically go away. But I don't think hemp is, is the magic wand. I mean, it doesn't live a thousand years. It lives a few months and then it's back in the soil. Uh, so that's not really the solution to me. So I think it's almost a little irresponsible to constantly promote that hemp can improve the soil forever or can like save climate change or prevent big problems we've created for ourselves. And also there's not much market there like brownfield cleanup and environmental remediation is not really a for-profit game. It's a government game and an NGO game. So, you know, so what is the business, what, what does it help anybody for me to write a story once a week talking about phytoremediation for hemp? I'm curious if you hear about it a lot. Uh, do you think there's a future there we're missing or? <laughs> well, that, that right there, God, this is great. You're awesome. <laughs> this is the thing that, that, I, that I found out was this transition from being an uh, activist to mm -hmm. industrialists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and that's what's going on right now. Yeah. In the earlier days, I remember a couple of the meetings to an association I won't say because I'm just not going to flame them. But yeah. when I stood up and said I wanted to make a living growing this plant, mm. they looked at me like I had the play. Yeah. What do you mean? I said, I'm going, I want to grow this to make money. So sure. now here we are and here it is 2020. Mm -hmm. And what is the responsibility of an association? Is it to make sure its members are healthy or is it to perpetuate an idea? Yeah. And, and that's what's going on right now. But for a bunch of people, the industry has passed them by. Exactly. You know, I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. So, I mean, that, so that's what we're seeing is this new demand on where, what, you know, hemp is. Also, not to go into too fine of a point, hemp. I've got a problem now with, if you grow for CBD, you're not a hemp farmer. Mm -hmm. You're a cannabinoid farmer. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a flower farmer, yeah. Yeah. You, now, if you're growing for fiber, or you're growing for seed oil, you're growing hemp. Mm -hmm. But if you're out there, then the only thing that can tell the difference between a crop in Washington or Oregon or crop in Tennessee is a drug test, then we're, we're talking semantics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the thing of it is, is you, know, you want to talk about the government? Right now, I mean, how do you see that transition is because this is my observation. I think all cannabinoids are going to get pushed in together. Mm -hmm. I think they're probably to 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 placate some people. There'll probably be a two-tiered tax structure. Your CBD true med will be taxed mm -hmm. at a different rate. Yep. And, and then the rec will be taxed at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. I that's where I admit that's what makes sense. It's like 
in the state yeah. of Tennessee, there's, pre you know, of course, we're not a true medical marijuana state. Mm -hmm. And so there's this push to do it. And I can tell you that the department, the Tennessee Department of Agriculture, wants no part of high THC. Mm -hmm. None. So that so this is what's going on here is how do you you said it earlier how do you cut up uh, you know the divvy up the spoils and so mm -hmm. all this is going on right now and it really is making a lot of people that had I mean let's face it there were laws and I love them to death that were passed in Tennessee that enabled us to have probably one of the more benevolent easiest to work mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. of however you want to put it yeah and when they passed laws i don't think they knew what their the law they were passing oh i <laughs> yes i could talk all day um so when i uh i used to cover state legislatures for a long time so i a lot of uh, i'm not a lawyer but i've read a lot of bills so i'm working at marijuana business daily there's indiana passes this law that see they allow cbd they don't allow, they don't allow anything THC, they allow only CBD, up to 3% THC. And I thought, that's a typo in the Indianapolis Star, it's 0.3. And then I went and looked at the legislation and it literally is three, um, sorry, this is Iowa, not Indiana. Um, it really is 3%, which by federal law, of course, is a THC product. I think where we're headed, I know this is, it's good and bad, the old critics that would say, oh, if you legalize hemp, it's just the, you're just opening the door to, to marijuana legalization. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty obvious to everybody now how phony baloney macaroni this 0.3 line is. You know, there's lots of, it, the plant, a plant doesn't care what it is growing up, whether it's going to become uh, legal hemp or legal marijuana. A lot of countries don't have any different words for the two kinds of plants. Um, it's like saying how red should a rose be. So I think that's where we're headed. And the challenge I have is, for example, just recently at NOCO Hemp Expo, there was a debate about raising the legal limit for hemp to 1% THC. You have uh, been reading about this kind of a lot of places. You probably hear it all the time. And I just wonder, well, what's the point of that? I mean, then everybody's just going to plant plants that are... <laughs> still go hot it's, it's still a stupid argument um, at some point setting a thc limit is like setting how sweet does a you know uh, a strawberry have to be before it's legally a strawberry i just think that's it's 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 stupid end game no matter which way you dice it i'm curious what you think do you think one percent would help or would it just we just net now next year be arguing about raising it to two or four I could put it any better than what you did because there's always going to be, for one thing, A, the plant. You can't go out and have a pep talk to the plant. All right, ladies. Pep talk, yeah. Yeah, can't go over 1% Delta 9 here. And then there's also that little game that we, we play here. We're a Delta 9 mm -hmm. state, right? Mm -hmm. So now a couple of these guys have found some stuff, some plants, that when it comes out, it's about 0.299999 Delta 9 THC, and as much as three, four, five percent THCA. Mm -hmm. So as, fl as flour, it's legal, but if you leave it in a car for a hot afternoon, yep. it's marijuana. Mm -hmm. And so now we're doing these games here where we're, we're, people are doing this flour. And then the other thing that's happened, which 
Tennessee, I told you, is a little bit more enlightened. Once mm -hmm. they realized they couldn't tell the difference between hemp flour yeah. and marijuana, basically we have a de facto decriminalization because they, when you get pulled over, you got a two or three pre-rolls mm -hmm. or whatever. They're not going to take the time and the money and the effort oh, yeah. oh, to yeah. test it. So yeah. in some way, when these people said, you know, if you legalize hemp, you're opening up this mm -hmm. door for legalization. Yeah, you kind of are because people are going to finally see how hypocritical that, sure. oh, that plant that looks just like that plant is legal, but that plant's illegal. Yeah. Yeah, you got to run it through a spectrometer to tell. Yeah, it's it's very silly. It's I mean I don't know about where you guys are, but flower east of the Mississippi in the states where there isn't recreational or any medical flower sales for hemp is just astronomical. Yeah, and what I can't tell, and I'm curious your opinion because you're about on both sides. Where do you so people say? Yes, but when consumers can access higher THC products, um, it, it's limited how much they want to access the low THC products. Do you think this future of smoked low THC cannabis, is it just a thing where people yeah, can't get the real stuff? Or what do you think? If you'd asked me two years ago that when people started paying crazy amounts of money for our flour, me and Lee looked at each other and seriously one afternoon said, this isn't going to last. <laughs> it's just, it's a fad, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's a fad, yeah. One of the things that we found out, which we did not see coming was, is that there was a lot of people that never had access to high CBD flour. So they yeah. didn't know if they liked it. Yeah. So one of the things that we found was there was a huge amount of people who liked smoking cannabis, but with, and not to, to perpetuate that myth about sure. now. Yeah, now like the THC effects. Well, but, you know, supposedly THC now is so much, the flower is so much stronger, which it kind of is. Mm -hmm. These people, they get this and they get paranoid. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah. We have a few stores. One of the stores, they call us up and they say, we need more granny pot. That's yeah. what they call it, yeah, granny yeah, pot. Yeah, granny pot. So I'm in a store dropping off a bunch of pre-rolls, and here's this lady, 67, 70 years old. She says, I just love your pre-rolls. It reminds me so much of the weed we used to get back in the 60s yeah. and 70s. Yeah. I can smoke this, and I'm sociable, and it yeah. takes the edge off. Mm -hmm. So until I saw it, the market developed, I did not think it had any legs. So the thing, what's going to be interesting, though, is the things that are 50-50. And the sure. research that we're doing, of course, we can't let it out because we can't really grow it, but we're working with people who can, is these things uh, like uh, old school ACDC, which was supposedly 50% CBD, 50% yeah, yeah, yeah. THC. Well, that's what we're finding. And also on the medical side, we're finding that people, you know, the too much THC, especially yep. if they're doing the oncology thing, it, mm -hmm. they're whacked. They are. They can throw a bunch of CBD on top of that THC, and all of a sudden now they're functional. Yeah, there's really it really does hit a spot for a lot of folks that just do not want to feel too impaired, but see some benefit. And I like that granny pot analogy. I guess that there's definitely something there. It, and that and that's what we're seeing is. And so the the other thing that 
we're also finding is that the early days of high CBD flower and nothing against Oregon because they're a wonderful state, but Oregon had an abundance of biomass and they unloaded a lot on the market as flour. So the first, first pre-roll or some of the flour they got was this dried out, old, yeah. horrible. The thing we find is once that we can start getting this flour with the terpenes to where it looks good, smells good, dare I say it, maybe 20, 20% 25% of the people that are, that are thought that they really liked high THC really would rather have high CBD with a, mm -hmm. a good little dose of THC in there. One of the things that's happening in Tennessee is the new bill got passed where they're going to start taxing pre-rolls the same as they do cigarettes. I did not know that. Yes. When did that happen? Just recently or? Abby, what that happened two months ago? Or? Uh, didn't we get word of it two months ago? Yeah, but they haven't really year. implemented it yet. Yeah, but there's going to be okay. an excise tax now. Yeah. So, but, so the reason I brought that up was, is that if you look at it, they just basically took cigarettes, <laughs> cut and pasted them, hemp flowers. Oh, yeah. Boom, same thing. Now, the weird thing about this is, is it taxes pre-rolls. Your loose flower doesn't get taxed. Does loose tobacco get taxed? No. In your state? Nope. And so they just went and implemented. Uh, so if you want to know how the laws are going to get implemented, you're going to either look at the alcohol, how they're doing yeah, that, yeah, or yeah. the tobacco. Do you see hemp pre-rolls sold where it's alongside tobacco? I know there are tobacco like vape shops selling side by side. Do you see it like at general convenience in your area? Our pre-rolls are sold two places mainly, liquor yeah. stores and health food groceries health food groceries yeah one of our biggest uh i'll do i guess a shout out to them is a turnip truck and they're one of the largest or uh locally owned grocery stores there's like three of them and they're in nashville i they started selling our tincture stuff so the ladies are behind the counter i started just giving them a pre-roll i said do you like pre-rolls oh yes 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 yeah. we love pre-rolls so they talked to management because they said this is really a great pre-roll so they started putting it in, and they're one of our places that sell more of this stuff than anybody, yeah, which is, yeah. and then liquor stores. Hmm. Liquor stores have adopted this big time, and because it's a great point of purchase thing you can do. You can have yeah. your little pre-rolls right there, and it's a very, you know, here in Tennessee, the going rate for retail for pre-rolls, eight to I've heard as much as 15, but th that's a rarefied zip code that can get 15 for a pre-roll, right? Most, for most, it's $10 a pre-roll. So that, that works real good with that spontaneous buy with the liquor store. Yeah. And, and so and this is the one thing though, go, we'll go back to hemp business daily. Your profit model is basically based on advertising? No, shows generally shows con conferences so that's why we're trying to figure it out right <laughs> they, so, they they make most of their money from conferences and conventions and the journalism is spoke they and i i really appreciate this they want the journalism to be as good as it can be to attract people to the shows 
So are you guys re-examining your profit model? Absolutely. Who isn't? Uh, yeah, they're trying to find a path whether to, to make, and this is kind of the classic publishing d debate, how to get your, keep your name out, but also get paid, make money to produce the journalism, which is all, journalism's always been a loss leader. Now it's a paywall, would that work? Would people actually pay for the content or uh, how to get sponsorship? The challenge right now is not only are people not traveling, everybody's freaking out about the future and doesn't, doesn't really want to invest in something new like, oh, let's start a podcast like we're doing. Let's start, a, let's start investing and getting our name out. Even though it sounds like now, now's the time to really invest in some marketing efforts and support journalism. I don't blame anybody for you know, trying to keep the lights on and saying that's a great conversation to have. Let's see if we survive first. Well, this is one of my been my one of my biggest frustrations with my sisters and brothers in the canvas business has been what I call the dealer mentality, which is I got this and I got this. If you don't like it, somebody else will buy it. Yeah. And they never have really understood when it went from a seller's market to a buyer's market, they were perplexed. You have wonderful numbers. You're one of the most respected business day, business dailies for cannabis in the world. Mm -hmm. So I don't see why pe more people aren't out there trying to associate with you. Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm serious. I don't get that. I, I am totally no, perplexed. No, I think, I mean, this is a long sidewinder, but you brought him up, uh, Sanjay Gupta. I think people recognize the value of media coverage and how it can make your brand, um, but don't really know how the media works and how it gets there. And I, I, I on this saw all the time, because I was at AP before this, of like, you realize Sanjay Gupta doesn't wake up in the morning trying to find sick kids and thousands of miles away that are interesting to talk about. A local newspaper wrote about this company, the Stanley Brothers and this Realm of Caring group and this little girl. And then the Colorado Springs newspaper wrote about it. And then the Denver AP office where I was started writing about it. Then the New York Times correspondent in Denver writes about it. And then someone who works for the health, you know, the health desk at CNN, who wakes up every morning and reads the health pages in the newspaper, then they see, oh, there's this case of this sick kid somewhere. And let, what if we did a show about this? And then they research it and that's how the media works. So I always say like, if you want your brand to succeed, you should know the name of your local newspaper. There's a business writer at your local newspaper who is interested in stories about what you're doing. And so much of what I see, this is one of my frustrations, so much of what I see are these warnings to companies you can't make health claims. You can't, you know, how to not make health claims about your product. But you know who can make health claims? Any kind of health claim is a journal. <laughs> so if you have a customer, a friend, someone you know whose cancer was cured by a cannabis product, don't take, don't go to Facebook and write about it. Call your local newspaper reporter and have them go write about it because they're interested in stories about, you know, area lady cured of cancer because she smokes uh, cannabis or something like that um, and knows how those, those stories filter up. So I really am curious about the future of local media, local journalism because it's really under attack right now. But I do think 
That is an, an easy and free way. There's a lot of moaning and groaning, as you probably see, about you know the big guys coming in, big slick marketing campaigns. I don't have a jillion dollars to, and I say, look at Charlotte's Web. They didn't have anything. They're just some, some brothers who were growing pot in the basement. Then they, the way, why they are now who they are is media coverage. So you can get there, uh, find your local newspaper reporter and get them out to your operation and, and, and know them, contact them and get yourself in the paper. One of the things about this is, uh, could we possibly do this on a semi-regular basis? Of course, I love to talk about this industry. Uh, I'd love to talk to you. And I also, if uh, before we wrap up, I should say I'm going to make sure a reporter calls you for smokable hemp coverage because they're always looking for businesses that are really playing in this field and, and succeeding at it. I'm so curious your experience. What I'd like for you to do right now is wrapping up is tell people how they can get a hold of you. Okay. And, all, and all that stuff. So when people, because I'm sure after they hear this, they're yeah. going to have questions for yep. you. Yeah, again, call your local newspaper, but also I am at Kristen.Nichols, that's uh, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot N-I-C-H-O-L-S at Hemp Industry Daily, all one word, no dots, no underscores, dot com. And my cell phone, always with me, every reporter has a cell phone with them at all times, and it's on, is 720-643-4450. I am always here for anybody's news tips or just to, to talk off the record. Um, about whatever's going on. Abby, you got any questions or anything to say, darling? <laughs> My question would be to the next episode is why, what are the powers at play, the bigger powers at play that are keeping it from being legal right now? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of them, but I think sorting them out and making them vocalized is important. So right. for next time. All right, this yeah. is the Chris and Nichols. Hemp Business Daily, yeah. Abby McCullough, and like I said, I'm Harold Jarbo, the old hemp farmer. This is Full Contact Cannabis. We're sponsored by Tennessee Homegrown. That'll be our little plug, and that's tnhomegrown.com.